<clears throat> so I'm, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to speak to you again. I'm sorry that this is your third time this week hearing me, or in a week. Life's tough, right? Life's tough for me tonight, also. Uh, I was asked to give this talk, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to have some content, some material that you can, that you can really kind of have fun with. But, the, but they asked me to talk about magnanimous sacrifice, right? So I don't have a lot of funny stories about magnanimous sacrifice, but I have a lot I think the Lord wants to say to us tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to start this uh, quote. Hopefully most of you have this worksheet. Greg, you're going to come up and run, read this for us. Is that cool? Yeah. You don't have one, though, so you win. It's right there. Let's uh, listen to Greg real quick, if you have a sheet. Uh, this is... From General uh, MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur, a quick kind of background on him. He was a uh, Medal of Honor winner. He was the Supreme Commander, which that's a pretty cool title. Okay, the Supreme Commander of the Forces in Southwest Asia during World War II, um, Southwest Pacific, excuse me, and uh, just did incredible things. Um, Chief of Staff in the 30s uh, for the Army, a lot of other cra crazy stuff, amazing guy. This is Almost, I think it's the last like public speech he gave, and it's an excerpt from it um, at uh, West Point um, as he was preparing to die. He was a frail old man at this point, and these were these were some of his parting words to the, the graduating class of West Point. The code which those words, duty, honor, country, perpetuate embraces the highest moral laws that will stand the test of any ethics or philosophies ever promulgated for the uplift of mankind. Its requirements are for the things that are right, and its restraints are from the things that are wrong. The soldier, above all men, is required to practice the greatest act of religious training, sacrifice. In battle and in the face of danger and death, he discloses those divine attributes which his maker gave when he created man in his own image. No physical courage and no brute instinct can take the place of the divine help which alone can sustain him. However horrible the incidents of war may be, the soldier who is called upon to offer and give his life for his country is the noblest development of mankind. I disagree with him, right? The person who's called upon to offer and give up his life for his Lord is the noblest development of mankind. Brothers and sisters, I want to talk to us tonight about what it means to be a person of magnanimous sacrifice. I want to tap into some things that Joe spoke about a few weeks ago, speaking about worship and sacrifice. Um, because I think this quality of, of magnanimous sacrifice is something that sh should Im be embodied in our life of worship. It should be a, a, have a character, our worship should have a character to it, a quality that we should be able to say is one of magnanimous sacrifice. Joe gave us a, a few things. He had that one quote. I love it. I, I wrote it down here. Anyone on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. That's a great jumping point. Amen? Um, he, he talked about three challenges, um, areas that we 
maybe have been formed in by the, the broader culture, the culture of the world, right? And he, he talked about how that might have impacted our community here, and he, he gave us some, some ways to move beyond it, some, some ends that we want to be transformed towards. Does anybody remember what those three things were? What are the three challenges? Yeah, Adam. Mature response, communal worship, and... Forget the last one. Mature response, communal worship, yeah. Magnanimous surrender, right? Because, and it's that one that I want to I focus on. Good job, both of you guys. Right, so magnanimous surrender, this reality where we formed in this kind of, our, our sense of worship can be kind of more formed by this idea of consumerism, like what do I get out of this? And is that what worship is about? Is that what worship is about? No. Thank you. No, it should lead by humility to a place of magnanimous surrender, I want to develop that a little bit more tonight and actually talk about surrender as sacrifice, a magnanimous sacrifice in our life of worship, right? Because the, the reality, brothers and sisters, is that this quality is at the core of who we are in our life together in SPO. That's the positive way to say it. Let me say it a negative way. If we're not living this, we are not who God has called us to be. So let's stir our hearts as we strive for this tonight, as we strive for this for the rest of our life. Um, there's a passage, I want you to write it down, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It's one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Does anyone have it memorized? Do you got it memorized? I don't know, is it about offering a sacrifice? That is absolutely right. I, don't know. I, don't know. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To offer your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, your worship, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that you may know what is good and pleasing and perfect, what is the will of God. Offer your bodies as... Offer your bodies as... What, write it down. What kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. So there's something that is being tapped into here that is a little foreign to us, right? When we think of sacrifice, um, a great example would be uh, Andrew woke up really early a couple mornings ago, yesterday morning, wow, right? It was like this at about 5.45 a.m., and he went out and he ran a 5K with one of his buddies, Right? And he's, he's like out there, he's sacrificing to be with his brother, and that's awesome. Is that, that's an awesome thing to do, right? The cold rain, right? Run so as to win. He had to train for that to get to a place where he could do it. Maybe to expound on that a little bit sometimes. Anybody ran like a, a marathon before here? Sweet. You had to train for that, right? You had, to, you had to sacrifice, am I right, in order to be prepared to run 26.2 miles. It's crazy. That's what in our culture, I think a lot of times we think about sacrifices, like giving, like kind of foregoing something good or giving up something and so that I can achieve something, right? And that's not a bad way, but biblically, that was a very much a secondary way of understanding sacrifice. Guys, brothers and sisters, in the Bible, sacrifice meant like animals that were bloodied and burnt, right? It meant this offering that was made on the altar in order to, to some way try and right my wrongs of sin so that I could be reconciled to God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's, it's, 
Maybe it's not a, it's, I, we might say it's inhumane to do that, I don't know, in the 21st century America. But imagine that scene, right? The altar on the Day of Atonement in the temple where they were literally slashing the throats of thousands and thousands of bulls and, and rams and goats. Can you imagine the like blood and the stink everywhere? And then they would light it on fire. I mean, this is messy, right? Brothers and sisters, sacrifice costs something. Sacrifice costs something. In the scriptures, sacrifice is a central characteristic of authentic worship. Right? This idea, sacrifice was never separated from outpoured blood, a libation offering. There was never really sacrifice without blood involved somehow. Right? And now we figuratively kind of take this and run with it in our culture, right? Like, my, my skin's in the game, right? I'm willing to take a hit for this. That's the nature of sacrifice that we want to t- t- uh, tap into as our life as Christians. Because in the Old Covenant, the, the, the challenge, though, is that those sacrifices did not actually satisfy or expiate the, the price of our sins, right? This is, this is the classic reality of the gospel, that in fact it took this sacrifice of the perfect one to atone for my sins, for your sins, and make us one with God. And so at that point, right, sacrifice in the old covenant being an anticipation, now in the new covenant, brothers and sisters, it becomes a participation, the old covenant sacrifices anticipated something. Now in the new covenant, our sacrifices, yours and mine, participate in the saving work of Jesus Christ. All right. A little theology. Had to give the background. Who wants a story? Great. You asked it because it's going to challenge you. I'm sorry, Jason. It's going to come after you guys. It's going to be hard. Um, Some of you, I know John has heard this story before. um, So we'll see what happens with this one. But I just need to qualify it by saying this. I'm going to share a story with you that will challenge you. Don't let it challenge you in the wrong way because that's not going to be what I think the Lord intends. But I want to talk to you a little bit about sacrifice. And it's an opportunity I had to sacrifice. So for God's glory, I'd love to share this. Um, It was my, uh, my senior year, my last year in college. I was really involved in the, the, the Catholic Center at Boston University. And I had, for about a, probably like a year and a half, honestly, I had, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here, and this is where I don't want you to get caught up, talking about like wrestling through my vocation, right, discernment stuff. Um, I would be amazed if there's someone in who hasn't wrestled with that or isn't wrestling with it. Um, a lot of people start sweating all over the place. So it's good. Um, and uh, so, right, I was in that place, and I was just kind of like, ah. Oh, Marriage is incredible. Ah, celibacy is incredible. And I don't know if I actually said celibacy is incredible, but <laughs> I, I would, there was some thought of it that it could be. I don't know. And I was just, but I was like going back and forth, and it's a, it's a thing. I'm not going to get into too much detail on it, but I called it vocation anxiety syndrome. Has anybody been there? Any, do we have any psychology majors? Yeah, do, do you look it up in the, the DSM-5? It's in there. VAS, vocation anxiety syndrome. Um, it's not. I'm, I'm joking. It's not that. I don't know, we're going to listen to, who was it? Was, we're going to to Catholic sexual ethics in some class, so maybe, who knows, right? 
Okay, so, um, so I was finally to a place where I was like consumed with vocation anxiety syndrome. I was going nowhere and hearing what God was saying to me because I was so consumed with freaking figuring out the answer, right? God, just tell me the answer. Just tell me what you want me to do, right? That's not what it's about, right? It's not about an answer. It's about an offering. It's not about an answer. It's about an offering. The Lord wanted me to offer my life to him. That's it. So I got to this point where I, uh, I was meeting with, with someone on staff and and uh, they just realized I was like, like caught in this like tailspin. And they're like, hey, Clinton, why don't, you, why don't you think about like being single for a season, right? And I was like, what? And, and, like, like, and I'm like, I'm not dating anybody. Like, what are you talking about? And you're like, well, yeah, but not, when I say single for a season, I mean just like just to be with the Lord. Like you're consumed with trying to figure out all these answers and blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just be, make a time, a commitment of six months just to be with the Lord? I was like, huh. Okay, I'll do it. Like, I thought about it for a little bit. I got back to him. I was like, yeah, what the heck? I'll do it. It was like a few days later. And so um, they were like, all right. Now, here's the background, though. In my mind, the sad part was I really wasn't making an offering to the Lord, which really came around to to bite me in the rear end. Because what I was really saying to myself was, I'm just going to be with the Lord for this time. And there's nobody really on the horizon now that I could date. And... um, and, you know, probably by the end of this, God's going to tell me what my vocation is anyway. Has anybody been there? Don't raise your hands. Um, right? And so that's, but I was like, no, I'm going to make this offering of this time to the Lord with my life, right, is what I thought. And so that was a Sunday afternoon. Um, that Tuesday night, we had our, our, our main weekly meeting. And, uh, and this gal, her name was Sophie. She was Dutch. She spoke like five languages. And uh, I don't know, I thought she was really cute. But I was never, right, never, I mean, I'm not going to go there because she was dating this guy for a long time. And she was part of our, like, small core group of friends. Um, and, uh, but I just never, you know, right, I'm not, not going to do that. Um, and so at the end of our weekly meeting, though, Sophie comes up to me and she says, hey, Clinton, like, I don't know if you want to, like, grab my tea or something this week or whatever. And I was like, sure, yeah, let's do it. And she's like, how about Thursday? I was like, great, Thursday's awesome, let's do it. So, uh, so we, uh, we set it up, and it's like Thursday midday or something like that, and, um, and I, I like text her. I'm like, hey, Sophie, I have this huge lab report due tomorrow, and I'm just like getting my butt kicked, and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm kind of busy too. Um, why don't we do tomorrow night? I, pr- I propose that. How about tomorrow night? Because there was this open mic night at the Catholic Center. I thought, hey, let's do that. Let's go to the op- we'll, we'll grab a quick bite at this Chinese food restaurant. It's the cheapest meal on campus, um, three seventy five for vegetable lo mein. Yeah, you know you would eat there, right? <laughs> the women are like, no. The guys are like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't have to cook for household dinner anymore. This is great. I just buy it, right? So, so, uh, so I was like, yeah, we'll go, to, we'll go to the Chinese food restaurant, and, and, uh, and then we'll hit up the, the open mic night. And open mic night started at like 7, so I was like, hey, we'll eat at like 6, and whatever. Just bust on over. She's like, great, yeah, let's do it. So I like, like Friday comes, and it's like, I don't know, in the early afternoon, and, and she texted me, and she's like, hey, listen, I don't have a lot of money. I was wondering if we could just make food, like, make food. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, it's only three seventy-five, but whatever. <laughs> and so she's like, well, I live in a, I live in a brownstone, which is kind of like an on-campus, it's not like in a dorm, but it's not an apartment, there's no kitchen. And, um, and I was like, well, hey, why don't you just come over to my apartment, we'll whip something up, and then make it to the open mic night. She's like, all right. 
six o'clock rolls around, and she's got like three bags of stuff, like like pans and pots and stuff, and then like green leafy things coming out of a bag, and then like boxes of other things, and like whole whipping cream. I'm like, what is, I don't even know what whole whipping cream is, but she had it, right? And other stuff, and I was like, I was like, wow, all right, this is, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I actually worked in a restaurant in, in high school. I was on the cook line, so I was like, yeah, this is great. We'll make some stuff. And, and um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. So we start making dinner, and I, our, my, my kitchen was like, from that wall, it was like, like this wide, and like to there. And that's like with the pantry and the oven and everything. It was like, I've been in places that are closets that were bigger than my kitchen. And it had one single fluorescent light. And I hate fluorescent lights. I, with a passion, I hate fluorescent lights, okay? So, so the lights on and, you know, we're like letting things do stuff on the stove or whatever. And, and I just, I mean, it was a passing remark. I didn't think anything about it. And I was like, man, I, I hate fluorescent lights. And she's like, Oh, and she like disappears around the corner, ruffles through a bag, two candles lit, set, lights off. (laughs) Now we're cooking in candlelight, ladies and gentlemen. Did I mention she was Dutch? All right, did I say that? No. And, um, I don't know, and ladies, please forgive us, have mercy on us, gentlemen, hopefully we're gentlemen, because sometimes I don't know if we're utterly clueless or, or like just intentionally blind. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I'm sorry for that. I really am. So we, we keep making, we sit down for dinner and the candles, and, and we're talking about stuff, and um, all the things you shouldn't do. This is what was happening. I mean, not, not like morally, right? But like, but like the things you shouldn't do, right? Sharing of hearts and like things that were just not appropriate. I just didn't know better at the time. And I was, I think, intentionally blind. And um, so at point, one point in the meal, she says, hey, I've been meaning to tell you something for a while. She says, uh, you know, John? And I'm like, yeah, oh, your boyfriend. Yeah, John. How's John doing? Um, well, we actually, a few months ago, we broke up. And I, uh, I just wanted to take some time to heal before I, I shared that with you. First thing I thought about, I was like, how the heck did she hide that? That's incredible. <laughs> but John wasn't involved in the Catholic Center, so okay. And then what my next thought was? No, my third thought, not my next thought. My third thought was, oh, that's horrible. Can I help you with any of that? Or do you want to talk about it? My second thought was, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we started around six. The open mic night started at seven. We began making homemade chocolate mousse at about 10. <laughs> the evening ended. I might have put on some old school like Nora Jones at one point. I know. I know, it's scandalous, I'm sorry. We showed up to the open mic night literally as the like 
the last act of the band was like, like last string like chord played. And we're like, oh, that was awesome. And um, so Saturday, I, um, I don't recommend what I did, but well, I don't recommend any of this, frankly. But, but Saturday, um, I, I knew that the, the campus ministry staff, these weird guys in gray shirts, that they didn't turn the alarm on at the Catholic Center. Um, because of like confession or other random things that might have happened, but I, and I knew how to get in without a key. So I, um, choice of words, I found a way to let myself into the Catholic Center. And on the fourth floor, I, I might have done this a few times, but on the fourth floor was a chapel, and so I went up there, and I was, I was kneeling right before the tabernacle. I was there all by myself, and I, I said, Lord, this is amazing. Like, I... Just a, like less than a week ago, I wasn't sure what you were calling me to, but you've like answered me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right? <laughs> and you know what the Lord said? He said, you've never, you never offered your life to me. He said, you never sacrifice this time for me. He said, this time wasn't about your vocation. This is time is about you and me. And so I ask you, will you sacrifice these six months for me? Brothers and sisters, that was not about vocation. That was about the places in my heart that I have kept from the Lord. But he wants us to make a living sacrifice of our lives. When we do that, there's something that happens, right? There's this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Because when we see the sacrifice of Jesus, we need to imitate it, brothers and sisters. When we see his sacrifice... We are called to imitate that. Here's what Philippians 2 says. Some of you have surely heard it before. We must have the same attitude that is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He offered his life. He poured himself out. The Greek word there is kenosis. I want you to write it down. K-E-N-O-S-I-S. K-E-N-O-S-I-S. He emptied himself. That's what kenosis is. It's this self-emptying, right? This sacrificial offering, this outpouring of my life, just like the blood of the animals on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Covenant. This kenosis, this all-out-poredness of my life. That's what Jesus did, brothers and sisters, and that's how we should imitate. And see, there's two things that happen here. There's a redemptive and a transformative reality that flow from this, that flow from this kenosis, this thing we want to imitate, this pouring out of our lives. The first transformative, brothers and sisters, we are afraid of sacrifice because of what we leave behind. But I stand before you, not as a religious brother, not as a celibate, 
I stand before you as a Christian man who has gone before you, and I will tell you the sacrifice is worth it. To let your life be outpoured will transform you. It has transformed me. Not by my grace, not by my doing, by God's grace, by his doing in my life. So that's the first thing that this kenosis, this sacrifice, this outpouring does. It transforms our life. It is transformative. The second thing it does is it is redemptive. Yes, redemptive for myself. But here's another thing, and I want you to write this down, that that kenosis, this sacrifice does. We do it, brothers and sisters, so that others may live. Write it down. We sacrifice so that others may live. Our participation in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross brings redemption to the world. We participate in his offering, the offering of his life. So I want to talk about briefly some characteristics of sacrifice. What do they look like? The first I want to say about it is that these kind of qualities, these aren't exhaustive, these aren't the like magic answer, but they're things that I want to, to equip you with to take to prayer. The first is, one character is, our our offering, our sacrifice should be one of real adventure. Write it down. Real adventure. See, if we're not convinced that God has this life-changing vision for us, that's something greater than what we think right now, then we're not going to really step into this, right? If we don't realize that there's an absolute enthralling real adventure that God has for us, we will not sacrifice. Do you believe that what God has for you is something great? Do you believe that what God has for you is something great? Yes. Thank you. There's, other, there's two other kinds of adventures that I want to warn you about. The first is fake adventure. What's an example? Hold on. If you live in Bethlehem, you cannot answer this. <laughs> What's an example of fake adventure? Any, any examples? Yeah. What? That's amazing. Way to be holy. All right. That's good. Sin, fake adventure, love it. I might say it's the second kind. We'll get into a second, but I'll take it. What else? Movies. I think that's a great one. Who said this? Yeah. Movies, right? I, anybody? I'm sorry. I don't watch a whole lot of movies. I usually watch the highest grossing movies once or, or twice a year. So I watched... Uh, Snap. What's the one with all the superheroes and the Infinity Infinity Wars? I got to the end of it and I was like, they all died. (laughs) And literally my heart was like, and I couldn't believe that they killed them. And I'm really glad they did. I've always wanted to make a movie like that. But but no, I walked out. But you know what happened? I walked out of the movie theater and I was like, and there was like a bird flying by and like, and it didn't like disintegrate into ash or anything like that. And like, it was like, oh, that was a movie, right? Okay, good. Movies, what's another fake adventure? Yes. Oh my gosh. Video games. Wow. I, yeah. I was talking to the guys in Bethlehem about you watch these promo videos for like whatever the next like Call of Duty is. And I watched them and I'm like, I'm a brother. We don't even have a TV, okay? And I, but I watched him. I'm like, I can't wait. That's amazing. Oh my! I'm gonna save the world. Did you see that? You know, he was skiing down a boulderish like fire, and 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 then I think about it, and I'm like, you know what? It, video games equates to the capacity to move your fingers really quick. Like that's about as adventurous as it really is, right? I mean, that's it. Some guys are looking at me like, crap, just ruined my Friday night. All right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay, so that's fake adventure, right? Here's another one. I don't have a, a fun word for this except to say it's 
it's less adventure. <laughs> it's just less, right? So one of the things that absolutely breaks my heart, and you know what? It also breaks the other men and women on staff here. It breaks their heart. When we see someone, when we see you, with incredible capacity to do something great, but you let yourself be tricked by doing something less. It might still be adventure, right? It might still be adventure, but, but like there's something more. And so we can trick ourselves into thinking I'm doing something adventurous because it might even be a good thing, but it's just less. Examples, fasting. I, I say this to glorify the Lord, but, but like when I first started fasting, I was like, this is so scandalous, I'm sorry. I, I didn't become Catholic until um, May, May 25th, I got baptized at the end of my freshman year of high school. But I was like, obviously I was trying to, like, I was going through kind of this RCIA thing, I was trying to live out Catholic life before that. So this was like my first like Easter Triduum or like the Holy Triduum, like Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter, Sunday. And like I'd never like thought about Good Friday before really or anything like that. <laughs> so this was me trying to fast on my first Good Friday ever that I really, I wasn't baptized yet though, but I was trying to celebrate. You know what I did on that day? I didn't eat anything. And then that night, I went on a date. What? With this girl I was dating. Her name was Su Susan. And we went to the movies. And afterwards, I was like, I can't take it anymore. And we went to this coffee shop and got this like ginormous milkshake. Now, okay, it's just a milkshake. But I was like, I know you technically that's still within the guidelines of fasting. But my intention was like, I couldn't not eat, right? Today, and I, again, I, I offer this to the glory of God, like, I really want to know my need for God. I, we brothers eat a, at a festive meal, Holy Thursday night, in celebration of the Last Supper. I don't eat till Saturday night. The, if I were to eat somewhere, it would be less. Like, I know that I can offer more of my life to the Lord than what I could when I was a freshman in high school. I just know I can. And I think you can, too. That's an example. Another example. Um, when I was in college, I had involvement in a ministry that was doing chastity talks to high schoolers, um, which was awesome, and they needed it. Wow. But it took up a lot of my time. It did. It took up a lot of my time. And I'm not saying it, it was in no way a bad thing. But you know what I started realizing? There were other people who could do it. Like, I thought I, maybe, maybe I even thought I could do it better, but there were other people who could do it j good enough right? And that's not a bad thing, but it was preventing me from doing something greater. And I'm not saying that those high school kids didn't need to know about chastity, all right? I lived high school. They needed to know about it, okay? But I, but I just knew as I started to really open my life up to something that there was something more, something greater, a greater adventure that the Lord has for me. Here's my challenge to you. All of you know someone on staff I want you to go up to the person that you speak to the most or that you want to speak to or that you trust or whatever and ask them, how can I be more adventurous in my life? How can I live more of a real Christian adventure, not a fake adventure, not a less adventure? Go up and ask them. Amen? Amen. Okay, and what are some of the qualities that make this adventure real? Well, the first thing I think we want to hit on is generous risk. Generous risk. Brothers and sisters, what might have been risky back in the day is no longer risky for me. I have to do, by God's invitation, I want to respond with more risk of my life. I've laid my life out that day 
up in that chapel on the fourth floor, and God responded by, in faithfulness. I laid something before him. But my life is not done in the sacrificial offering of my life. So it's for us to be generous in our risk. Thirdly, I think we want to have a gritty perseverance. A gritty perseverance. How many times have we embarked upon an adventure and not persevered to the end? There's so much the Lord has for us as we do persevere. Fourthly, and we'll kind of wrap home here in a little bit, we want to have, this all leads to a magnanimous sacrifice. And I want to spend two moments with that word. Um, I was reading, praying through uh, how to express this, and I, um, if you read the, the mass readings today, Hebrews chapter 12 is the first reading. Um, verses 18 through 24. And at the end of it, it says this. It says, the sprinkled blood, it's talking about Jesus, the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks more eloquently than the blood of Abel. Now, if we go back to Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed his brother Abel. It was the, the second sin. The first sin was Adam and Eve rejecting God. The second sin was fratricide. It's an important passage for our brotherhood. We feel like one of the greatest gifts that we can do to combat humanity's rejection of God is actually to restore brotherhood. And I would, I would say I think restore sisterhood also uh, because there's power in it, and that's why the enemy went after brotherhood next. <laughs> Aside from that, though, um, what is this passage saying? The sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks more eloquently than that, the blood of Abel. When Cain killed Abel, Abel's blood spilled on the ground, and God said this. He said, um, what have you done? Your brother's, bro- your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. Therefore, you shall be banned from the soil. There's an issue of justice here. Like the just thing was done. But brothers and sisters, justice is, is a me- like we measure it out. Like, hey, you did this bad to me, so then you're going to have to suffer this much. right? It's, there's an equality, a measuredness to it. That's not the blood of Jesus. That's not magnanimous. The blood of Jesus is mercy that does not end, brothers and sisters. It's mercy that is magnanimous, right? When Jesus' blood is spilled, it is not ending. It is unending for us. And that's what we want to have to to kind of qualify or color our magnanimous sacrifice, is we want it to be unending, magnanimous, greatly sold. That's how we want our sacrifice to be characterized. Some of the ways that this happens, brothers and sisters, Um, lived out in daily sacrifice? How do we live this daily? I think the first thing to know is it it really simply means this. You have to do more. No, don't write that down. I'm lying. That's not what it's about. It's not about doing more. (laughs) It's not about doing more. You already do a lot. I know it because I know know you because you are just like another woman in our ministry or like another guy. I know you pour your lives out. It's not about doing more. It's about letting your lives be offered as a living sacrifice. All of your life for the rest of your life. That's what we're about. And brothers and sisters, there's a quote St. Teresa of Avila has. I love it. Everything we gain comes from what we give. Everything we gain comes from what we give. And she doesn't mean giving stuff away. She means your heart. May we live like that. The more you sacrifice, the less you regret. I, I, I will witness to it, testify with my life. The more you sacrifice, the less you regret. I was talking to Emily today, and she said, um, Emily, where are you? There you are. She said, I was like, I came into one of the rooms in the office, and she was talking very excitedly about something. 
And um, I was like, Emily, what, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I'm going to Arizona, going to the Grand Canyon for spring break. <laughs> Sorry, everybody turn around and look at Emily. She's super red. <laughs> so so she, bought, she bought her plane ticket, and she, I was like, who are you going with? She's like, I don't know yet, but someone's coming with me, and it's going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> She's hitting the Grand Canyon. It's going to be magnanimous, right? But one of the things she said to me, it was beautiful. She said, um, she said you know, I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty like, gutsy move. She's like, you know, it was $300. Like, I used to think that was a lot of money, but now I'm like, I have less money than I did before, and it, but it, it's, I'm more free because she's living a life of sacrifice, right? The more you sacrifice, the less you regret, there's many other things I could say, but we're going to wrap this up by saying one last thing. To live a life of magnanimous sacrifice is a life that transforms us so that others may live. May that be the thing that is said of us, that people look at us and say, there's a man, there's a woman who offers their life so that others may live. Amen.